A very warm welcome to the Brexit Briefing, a brand new weekly guide exclusive to Talk Podcasts, bringing you an honest analysis on all the latest developments as the United Kingdom prepares to leave the European Union on the 29th of March 2019. Yes, make a note in your diaries. Join us each week as we dispel the myths and set the record straight about all that's been happening with the Brexit process. There are two items on the agenda this week, the so-called divorce bill and the situation regarding the Irish border. Right, let's crack on. We are being told that the so-called divorce bill or severance payment with the EU has been agreed. Incidentally, this hasn't been confirmed, but we're being told that it's been agreed. And that figure is to be £50 billion. But here's the crucial bit that keeps being left off news reports and newspaper reports. That figure of £50 billion is being spread over 40 years. So when you put it like that, it's just £1.25 billion per year. And that's not factoring in inflation, which will whittle away most of that amount of money anyway. To put that into some kind of perspective, the United Kingdom currently gives the European Union £17 billion gross. When you factor in the Thatcher rebate and the fact that we get some of that money back in the form of grants and so forth, the amount the United Kingdom gives the European Union net, in other words, that it doesn't get back, is around £9 billion. So that's a reduction from £9 billion to £1.25 billion. To put that into a wider context, there's a thousand million in a billion. The current annual welfare bill is £264 billion. The current NHS budget is £116 billion per year. So therefore, this figure of £1.25 billion per year will be what? Roughly 1% of the annual NHS budget? As it stands, not factoring in inflation? In other words, the NHS will in meaningful terms cost a lot more, while in meaningful terms our contributions to the EU over the next 40 years will cost a lot less. But this is not a divorce bill. It's about servicing existing debts, such as pensions for EU staff, that sort of thing, and projects that have already been agreed. So I've, I've put things into some kind of context there. I mean, the, the other thing people have been saying for years and years when they're talking about how the government spends the money available to it is, another one they tend to use is, oh, the royal family. Think of all the money we could spend on the NHS if we weren't giving it to the royal family and refurbishing Buckingham Palace and the Queen's Guards and so forth. The royal family costs us £45.6 million per year. That works out at 62 pence per person. So £45.6 million per year, a thousand million in a billion, and the NHS costs £116 billion. It's well below 1% of the NHS budget. Well below. So whenever Republicans argue, oh, let's build a hospital instead, you're not going to get many hospitals built and serviced for £45.6 million. That's the reality. But going back to this EU payment of £1.25 billion per year over 
every year for 40 years. The EU budget itself will increase massively in that time. So we're saving already, even before we've got going. We currently spend 9 billion net. Let's assume that's going to go up and up and up, and our 1.25 billion figure stays the same. It's minuscule. I mean, in theory, we could just walk away. We could take it to an international tribunal who could reduce that £1.25 billion per year figure. But we do want a, se a friendly separation from the European Union because we do want to trade with them and we do want continued cooperation on intelligence, policing, scientific research. Um, but there's also the EU's educational exchange scheme, which includes nearby states like Norway and Turkey, but also distant countries like Canada and Israel. We would still want to be a part of that. And we are the sort of country, historically and presently, that honours our debts. So for things that have already been agreed, and as a goodwill gesture, this £1.25 billion per year figure is minuscule, and it's certainly not something we should be losing sleep over, and it's certainly not something the newspapers and the BBC and the heritage media should be behaving in an alarmist way about. But, upon leaving the European Union... We will be free from our obligations to the common agricultural policy, the cohesion funds and the foreign aid racket. We will be saving a fortune and it is grossly irresponsible for any media outlet or any individual, yes I'm talking about you James O'Brien and you Alistair Campbell, to claim otherwise. Maybe I haven't quite done enough to persuade you of my argument yet, so I'll keep going. The government spends around £46 billion per year on servicing the national debt. When George Osborne, Mr Project Fear himself, became Chancellor in 2010, the national debt was around £1 trillion. Today, it stands at £1.7 trillion. So much for George Osborne's austerity, eh? So, to put that into perspective, that's £46 billion on servicing debt, debt interest. The transport budget is £35 billion, and the policing budget is around £35 billion. So there you go. £35 billion each for transport and policing, £46 billion for servicing debt. But, just £1.25 billion will be spent per year on giving money to the European Union post-Brexit. Let's keep this firmly in perspective. If you're going to be angry, be angry with the right people. £1.25 billion is just 2.72% of the £46 billion we currently spend every year on debt interest. And with the national debt still rising year on year, in spite of so-called austerity, that figure is very, very likely to rise, as indeed the debt rises and the cost of borrowing rises over time. Be angry, but be angry for the right reasons and with the right people. £1.25 billion to the EU every year for the next 40 years is pittance and as a goodwill gesture is well worth it. If you're looking for reasons to be angry, I'm going to move this discussion on now to something else. And that is that most, well, all, I think, EU member countries are also members of NATO. 
And one of the conditions of NATO membership is that each member state has to spend 2% of its GDP on defence. It's sort of like an insurance payment. Um, but I, I've looked up the figures. The sheer number of EU countries that are not meeting that 2% target and that 2% commitment is quite incredible. By far, the worst offender is Luxembourg, which spends just 0.44% of its GDP on defence. And guess who was president of Luxembourg between 1995 and 2013? Jean-Claude Juncker. That's the same Jean-Claude Juncker, who is president of the European Commission today, and he is, is kind of the backseat driver as far as the Brexit negotiations go. The rest of the countries, Belgium, 0.85% of GDP, Spain, 0.91%, and then we gradually increase as we go Slovenia, Hungary, the Czech Republic, Italy, 1.11%, still well below 2%, Slovakia, the Netherlands, Denmark, Germany, big rich Germany, the powerhouse, the economic powerhouse of Europe. Just 1.19% of its GDP is spent on defence. That's well below the 2% target. Albania, Croatia, Bulgaria, Portugal, 1.38%. Latvia, Romania, Lithuania and France, 1.78%. France, the other big powerhouse in Europe. Supposedly a recovering economy now after um, the Francois Hollande years. But no, they spend just 1.78% of GDP on defence. Of the NATO member states, only five actually meet their 2% commitment. They are Poland at dead on 2%, Estonia at 2.16%, the United Kingdom on 2.21%, Greece, poor Greece, country with an economy in ruins, yet they still meet their NATO requirements and their NATO commitments at 2.38%. And unsurprisingly, top of the pile is the United States on 3.61%. But let's go back to that huge list of EU member states I just read out that do not pay their NATO insurance in effect. Luxembourg, 0.44%. They had nearly two decades of Jean-Claude Juncker as their country's political leader. And that's the best they can do? I think they have a nerve demanding money from the United Kingdom, when they are demanding that, in effect, the British servicemen and women put their lives on the line to defend their countries, and yet they're not keeping their part. That is despicable. You're listening to episode one of the Brexit Briefing with me, Marcus Stead, exclusively on Talk Podcasts. Don't forget to check out our other programming. You can already listen to our launch show with me and James Easton discussing our vision for Talk Podcasts. Coming up later this week, it's the first edition of Talk Motoring with Elliot Spiteri. Coming soon, Kieran Gibbons with Gibbons Talks Boxing. He looks ahead to an exciting few weeks for fight fans. And it won't be long before James Easton returns with the first of his Travel Tales podcasts, telling us all about his weird and wonderful adventures from all around the world. Feel free to drop me an email, marcusstead at hotmail.co.uk and don't forget to follow me on Twitter at marcusstead. I want to talk now about the issue of the Irish border. At the time I'm recording this, early on Tuesday morning, 
We've just been through a day when it looked as though the issue had essentially been resolved. Theresa May, along with the Irish Prime Minister Leo Varadkar and our friends in Brussels, had apparently reached an agreement whereby Northern Ireland would remain in the single market and the customs union in all but name. But then a spanner was thrown in the works when it became clear that this was totally unacceptable to Northern Ireland's First Minister Arlene Foster, who said that as far as she was concerned, Northern Ireland must leave the European Union on exactly the same basis as the rest of the United Kingdom. And Theresa May cannot ignore Arlene Foster's comments because point one, it would be potentially very damaging to the peace process, and point two, she is relying on the support of Arlene Foster's party, the DUP, to prop up her government in Westminster. So as far as Northern, the Northern Ireland border goes, we are back to square one, so it seems. There could well be further developments on Wednesday, um, so if you're listening to this later in the week, what I'm saying now might seem a little bit dated, but we'll have to wait and see. I think there will be developments on Wednesday, but... There's no inside info on that. I'm just that's how I think it'll play out. But as far as I can tell, it did not have to be like this. It should really be a non-issue. Let me be clear. The Republic of Ireland's membership of the EU, the single market and the customs union and Northern Ireland's exit from all three does not need to result in some kind of Donald Trump style big wall being put up around the Irish border. Far from it. As things stand, right now, at this moment in time, the UK and the Republic of Ireland have different rates of VAT, petrol and alcohol duty. Does that require vehicles to be stopped at the border? Very obviously not. Tax deed declarations are made by the companies involved beforehand and customs declarations could be made in exactly the same way. Nor does the UK need to regulate the movement of people. There has been a common travel area within the British Isles since 1923, a full 50 years before the UK and Ireland joined what became the forerunner to the European Union in 1973. This talk of the need for a border is a false argument. What I think Theresa May and the negotiating team should have done is said to Leo Varadkar and the EU officials that the UK has no intention of putting up a border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. That would have put the ball firmly in their court. If they wanted to erect a border, they'd have to do it themselves, with their own money, and explain the decision to their own people. As far as the UK is concerned, it is completely unnecessary. Now, by not doing that, has the Prime Minister made life far more difficult for herself than she needed to? Not for the first time. I suspect she probably has. We're in for an interesting few days. And that brings us to the end of this week's Brexit briefing. I've been Marcus Stead. Please spread the word and remember to check out our other podcasts. And don't forget to look out for another Brexit briefing next week exclusively on Talk Podcasts. See ya.